Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 17. And this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind. Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness, but ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness, wherefore putting away lying, Speak every man truth to his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry, and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communications proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Now let's take that 17th verse. Now this I say therefore and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth not walk, not as other Gentiles walk. The Apostle Paul divided the Gentiles. There were Gentiles who had become believers, and they were to walk in a certain manner. There were Gentiles who were not believers, and you could see how they were conducting themselves. And the Apostle speaks here of the truth that there is in Christ. He speaks of our learning Christ. If ye have so learned Christ. And he is emphasizing that since these Gentiles have become believers, and Jesus Christ has become their Savior and their life, that their entire manner of conduct, their life, their activities, it's called conversation here, and that means the totality of their conduct, was to be entirely different from that of the Gentiles which were around them. Well, he spends some time discussing how the conduct of the Gentiles, which is about them, is determined. And he has in this passage a number of these references to the Gentiles who are ungodly and who are unregenerate, and he says that they walk in the vanity of their minds. 
The only way they know how to walk is the way they think in their heads and they go after the vanity that their own minds produce. Now you Gentiles who become Christians, you have abandoned the vanity of your minds. You don't use that as a guide anymore. Now you follow Christ. You have so learned of Christ. The truth is in Christ. And then he proceeds to say, after he speaks about the vanity of their minds here in this 17th verse, he says, the understanding of the Gentiles is darkened. Not only is it in darkness, but it is alienated from the life of God. You Christians now have a life which may be called the life of God. This life which they have, which is in the vanity of their minds, this life which they have can never be called the life of God. I think you could very easily say at this point that the life of God is Christ. This is appalling expression for the life of God. The life of God is Christ. Ye now walk in Christ. Ye walk in the Lord. And then he proceeds to say, after he speaks of their being alienated from the life that is in God, he says they're ignorant. They're ignorant of the word. They're ignorant of the truth. They're ignorant of salvation. They're ignorant of these things. Now, as you, beloved, know, the last week, your pastor has been very, very closely associated with these, uh, with these men from Pakistan. And it has been a very refreshing experience indeed to my soul. Here are men, the product of the Christian religion, in another world, another culture, another language, another type of uh, diet, everything else. And yet, as I talked with them and we discussed these many issues, I discovered that their thinking was just exactly like ours. And as this thinking was like ours, they considered that the God of the Scriptures has brought unto them knowledge and all about them in Pakistan was ignorance. And they spoke of ignorance and poverty. Isn't it interesting? Ignorance and poverty. And this passage says here, as the apostle describes the condition of the unregenerate Gentile world, he goes on to explain here that they have an ignorance which is in them. And then he proceeds to speak of the blindness which is in their hearts. You can take this passage in Ephesians in which the apostle speaks about the unregenerate Gentile. His heart is blind. Ignorance is in him. He is alienated from the life of God. And the apostle Paul looked at the whole Gentile world and he said, you Christians who have now come to Christ, you must walk differently from the way in which this section of mankind lives. You must be different. Now, the thing that bothers me in my own country is that you can't tell the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian anymore. The church has come into the world the world has gone out 
or the church has gone into the world. The church has come into the world and the world has uh, uh, come into the church. And you can't tell the difference. You can't tell the difference. Yesterday in that dedication, by the way, I want to thank the choirs. I surely thank you for coming. I heard some very fine comments about your singing and about your being with us, and I wish to thank the choirs, and I thank everybody in the church that was able to be with us. We're very grateful that so many of you came and that so many of you were there yesterday. But yesterday there were some ladies there that had on these very uh, sort of light gray uh, surpluses. Perhaps you saw them. And uh, I had several people say to me, well, who are these people? And somebody said, well, they couldn't possibly be Roman Catholics. And somebody said, well, well, who do you think they are, Dr. McIntyre? Oh, I said, well, I know who they are. They're from up here at Liberty Corner. I said, they're, they're German Lutherans, I think. And that's uh, sort of a, 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 a group in that church that's addressed themselves in this way. They're very lovely people. Some of our Collinswood people go up to Liberty Corner and I don't know what brought them down here today, but here they are. But the very fact that they were different, the very fact that they had on these surpluses, the very fact that they were dressed the way they were, raised these questions among people. Who are they? Beloved, we are supposed to be so different from the unbelieving Gentile world that when somebody looks at us, they'll say, well, who are they? Who are they? What are they like? What are they like? And the apostle says here in this 17th verse, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that from henceforth ye walk not as other Gentiles walk. Now this is their condition. They're ignorant. Their hearts are blinded. In verse 19, they're past feeling. They've given themselves over to lasciviousness. They've given themselves over to the lusts of the flesh. They've given themselves over to work all uncleanness with greediness. Oh, beloved, you and I are witnessing right now in our country a complete breakdown of the moral standards and with it the corruption and the crime and the, the lawlessness which abound. Now, yesterday, we put up those lovely, beautiful flags all around the Christian Avenue. And last night, between 12 o'clock and 1.30 a.m., somebody came and tore 12 of them up. Of all the things, why in the world would they want to come around after midnight and tear the poles down and tear up the flag? A dozen flags were torn up last night by somebody. Now, why did they do it? Ten years ago, that wouldn't have happened. Maybe five years ago that wouldn't have happened. But who got out after midnight last night and tore the flags? Now they went to the police with this morning. The police says, oh, well, can't anything about it. Bunch of rowdies came in here from Philadelphia probably and did it. That's the way they passed it off. Can't do anything about it. But we are living in a land right now where you see these things. You people aren't safe anymore. You, you don't dare go out your houses anymore and lock your and not lock your doors. When we first came to this town years ago, we never thought about locking our doors. Now Ms. McIntyre's got the key all the time and I have troubles. 
The doors are always locked. We have to lock the doors. We don't dare move without locking everything. You have to lock the car. You have to lock your suitcase. You have to lock everything that you have today. It wasn't that way 10 years ago. We felt freer. And the Gentile ungodly world is manifesting the things that the apostle says here are actually taking place. Now may we go just a little further and notice in verse 20, he says, Ye have not so learned Christ. Since Christ has come into your life, he didn't teach you this kind of life. He didn't teach you this kind of wickedness. He didn't teach you this kind of, uh, of conduct. If ye have heard him, if ye been taught of him, if ye have the truth in Jesus Christ, if you possess that, you will put off the former conversation. Now, beloved, in the old days when the evangelists came and preached the gospel and men really got saved, they stopped their drinking, they stopped their smoking, they stopped their, drank, their gambling, they stopped all these things, and there was a change that took place in the town. And this is exactly what the apostle is speaking of here. If you have heard of Christ, if you have the truth in Christ, then you'll put off the former conversation of the old man. Now I'll revert again to our men in Pakistan by way of illustration. These men said over and over, you may have heard them here, that the social gospel has nothing to offer Pakistan. Nothing. But they have seen the gospel preached, just the simple gospel, that Christ died and rose again and tell the story of Jesus. The simple telling of that story in the villages of Pakistan has changed whole villages as men have believed and they've accepted Christ, they've thrown away their old customs, their old conversation, their old habits, and they have found a new life in Jesus Christ. And that life which they now have, which has delivered them from all these customs and all these practices of the past, is such a precious thing to them. It is a very precious thing. And only the gospel has the power to do that. And you and I must believe that the preaching of the gospel is able to do it. And that when God pleases, it will do it. That the preaching of the gospel, accompanied by the Spirit of God, accompanied by the minister, by the ministry of the Holy Ghost, will change the hearts of men. And the apostle says to you Christians there in, in Ephesus, now you have found Christ, you must walk differently. Well, now what are some of the things that the apostle was speaking about? Well, look at verse 25. He says here, therefore put away lying. The Gentile world is just full of liars. They just lie and lie in business and trade and every area they just lie. Put it away. You've become a believer now. You've learned from Christ that he is the truth. And so you put away lying. Every one of you. 
And you speak every man truth with his neighbor. You just tell the truth all the time. The whole truth. Verse 26. He says the Gentiles get angry. And they really do sin when they get angry. They get mad and they kill people. They get mad and they scheme and they plot to destroy. They get mad and they do all these things. Now he says you Christians have a right to be angry once in a while. But you mustn't sin when you get angry. Now, isn't that a combination? Somehow, we got the idea today that a Christian has no right to have any kind of anger or any expression of opposition to anything. Beloved, the Bible speaks, or we speak, of indignation, righteous indignation. And you and I, as those who have found Christ, have a right to be indignant but let's not sin. We have a right to be angry, but let's not sin. We have a right to say this awful thing has happened and we know it's a terrible thing and it's wrong, it's an insult to God and we have a right to be angry about it, but let's not sin. Let's not let our indignation express itself in such a way that we're guilty of violating the laws of God. We can be righteously indignant and we can stand up and the preachers can get up and denounce the devil and all his works. But we don't sin by doing things that God forbids. And that's what the apostle is saying. He says, you Christians must have a sense of right and wrong. You must have a sense of that which is holy and clean. And you must have some kind of outrage against iniquity. But when you have it, don't you yourself sin. And then he says, don't you give place to the devil. Don't let the devil take over. Don't let the devil get possession of you. Don't let the devil take you and let you do things and say things. And, and, and the devil is anxious to take you over. And all the advice of scripture in our dealing with the devil is to resist him. And he'll flee from you. The devil's a great fellow. He's a great fellow. He'll go just as far as you let him go. That's the kind of a fellow he is. When you resist him, well, he moves out of the way. But when you give place to the devil and don't resist him, he moves in. And he stands just at the borderline as to where you're going to resist him or whether you're going to give place to him. And the Christian is not like the Gentile world that gives place to the devil and doesn't resist him. The Christian recognizes the devil and his works. The Christian recognizes what the devil is up to, that he's up to hinder and destroy the work of God, and so he resists him. And he turns and moves away. But the apostle is saying, don't you give place to him. Don't you give him an opportunity. Don't you give him any leeway whatsoever. If you do, he'll take advantage of every bit of it. You know, beloved, I, I can't stop at this point, but we have something here. We really have something here that expresses a principle of the operations of evil and the operations of the devil that our country ought to know right this very minute. 
And I'm thinking in terms of the peace conference and Vietnam. The moment we resist these things, they back up. But the moment we begin to relax and come this way, then they move in. And it's the Christian's understanding of the devil that enables him to deal with the forces of wickedness. But our political leaders don't understand the devil and his works. We are not ignorant of his devices. And because of our knowledge of revelation and our knowledge of the conflict between light and darkness and how light drives the darkness out. And when you turn off the light, the darkness comes in. And that's the principle. You resist the devil and out he goes. You give place to the devil and in he comes. And you resist these forces of communism and out they go. But you retreat and give them any quarter and in they come. Now that is a spiritual principle that recognizes the warfare between heaven and hell. Between the forces of righteousness and those who maintain great concepts of liberty. It's right here in this passage. There's only one thing wrong with our country. We don't know the Bible anymore. We don't understand these spiritual principles in dealing with wickedness, in dealing with evil. We just don't understand them. Now I'll go a step further. After he lists these things, he proceeds to tell the Christians, let him that stole steal no more. Oh, beloved, the Gentile world was made up of a bunch of thieves. People stole everything they could get their hands on. Gentile world had no principles of right and wrong. And the apostle says, now you Christians, don't be like the ungodly Gentiles who'll pick up anything they can get their hands on provided you're not looking. And sometimes they'll do it even when you're not looking. The Gentile world is a world that steals. Now don't you be like that. Don't you be like that. Oh, beloved, may I just take you a step or two further right here? Here's some great things in this passage. There's some great things in this passage. Let him that stole steal no more. Why? Because God's law says thou shalt not steal. That's why. And what the apostle is doing is bringing the Christian after he's found Christ back into this great and glorious realm where God's law directs our conduct. You're not to live by stealing. He says, rather, look at that word, rather let him labor and work. Let him go to work. Quit your stealing. It's much easier to steal than it is to work. People go out and steal, and then they live off of what they've stolen and go steal some more and live off of what they've stolen. 
and people will steal rather than work. The ungodly will do it. Well, you know, down here at Cape May, I'm just telling you something. They had a big survey the other day, and they had a big story about it in the paper. I was amazed. They found out down there in Cape May that a certain percentage of the public works in the summertime and makes these wages for the three months in the summertime. And then for the rest of the time, they go on what you call this uh, 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 unemployment insurance. And so they live 10 months of the year, nine months of the year on unemployment insurance, which isn't too much, but it's enough to keep them there comfortable. And uh, then they work three months out of the year. And they made a survey down there that they wanted to bring in some industry around the airport and make it some kind of an international freight area. And the conclusions of the survey was that the people down there would rather work three months and lay around the rest of the year, and they weren't interested. Now, that was all in the newspaper. But that is exactly the way human nature is. And we would rather live off of somebody else, steal or insurance that you get, whatever it is, we'd rather live off of them than go and labor ourselves. And this is the type of thing right now that is demoralizing our country. Now I think it's perfectly all right for the government to take from us taxes, to take care of the normal operations of our society. Perfectly all right. But when the government takes away our money in taxes and doesn't use it for the normal operations of of life in the society, but turns that money back over to a certain group of people in a guaranteed annual wage or something else, that is a form of stealing. And we need to recognize these principles right here in the scriptures. And it's whether the you go out and take the money from the man directly and put it in your pocket and live on it and don't labor, or whether the government takes it from you and becomes his agent in the theft and gives it back to you, and then you live off my money. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him work, work. The Christians became good workers. And any Christian ought to be a good worker. My, just think of this kind of doctrine being preached in that pagan world. Just think of this kind of doctrine being preached in this pagan world. Let him work. Paul says, laboring with your hands. Get out there and use your hands if you have to, to make an honest dollar. That he may have. Here the apostle says, I want you Christians to have something. And once it becomes yours and you possess it, then I want you to remember you have a responsibility to help the man that's in need. There it is. Oh my goodness, beloved. What would happen if this idea would prevail in our country tonight? What in the world would happen? 
The trouble is that these ideals are not prevailing in our country tonight because the pulpits aren't preaching them out of the Bible as we find them here. Now, can you just imagine the little town of Ephesus, the little place of Ephesus? These people get saved. And they say, oh, Paul, I'm glad to believe in your Jesus, but please don't ask me to break with the whole economic system of my community. They're a bunch of thieves, and I've been thieving. I've been enjoying this kind of life all my years. And please don't ask me not to go along with them in this matter. They're all good stealers, and they all get along. And I, I, please don't ask me to, to buck that sort of thing. They all tell lies. We all, I've been so used to telling lies all my life. I don't know whether I'll ever be able to straighten myself out. Don't ask me to give up that sort of thing. I'll take your Jesus. Let me have him. I'll take what he has to give me in eternity. But please don't ask me to stop stealing right now. That's too easy a way to get along. That's it. And in the corrupt pagan world, the Roman world of Paul's day, Paul said, you Christians, when you get a hold of this life, which is the life of God, then you practice this right here in your life now. Stop lying. Tell the truth. Stop giving place to the devil. Resist him. Stop stealing. Don't take that which doesn't belong to you. Stop stealing. And instead, you Christians, go out and begin to work work. Now I'm going to go a step further when I've been thinking about this passage. Do you know, did you ever stop to think that the migrations of people across our country and the history of this nation and the folks coming from these other areas, and when we had calamities and when we had trials and we had uh, disasters, the people would pick up and they'd move out and they'd go somewhere else and they'd put themselves down. And all through those years in the 1800s and the 1700s, back in those years, nobody ever expected the government to come and pay their fares. Nobody ever thought in terms like that. When you had troubles, when you had trials, you went out and found a way to help yourself and people helped one another and people got along. And nobody ever expected the state to be the one that'd come in and take care of. Nobody had those ideas. They didn't have these ideas for a couple of hundred years around here. But now what happens? Well, it's a different world. All you have to do is to come down from the south and come up to Philadelphia and settle in Philadelphia. And I think they've got a time limit now. You have to stay there a certain time. But when you stay there, you're eligible for relief and welfare. And so you just get on welfare, and New York City, I saw the figure the other day at something like $50 million spent on welfare payments to people who just moved up. And I saw the other day where the National Council of Churches was objecting to some regulation that limits the time before a man can be on this free handout, and the National Council wanted to be, he'd get the handout the first week he was there. So what happens is, they just all come into these big centers where they have all the handouts for welfare, and there they park. And not only do they park, but they have any number of illegitimate babies, and they get paid for that. And this situation will never change. 
As long as we appeal to this weak nature of mind, which, rather, which would rather live off of somebody else than work themselves, it'll never change. And the reason I can talk to you people about this tonight is that the Apostle Paul told the Christians of the first century, you stop your stealing, you stop living off of what somebody else made, and you go out and you labor and you work with your hands, and furthermore, you work at some place which is good. Stay away from the racetracks. Stay away from the liquor houses. Stay away from the gambling joints. Don't make your money in any pursuit that isn't good. Now, can you imagine these early Christians in a little town like Ephesus, in a big town like Ephesus, just a little tiny group reading this epistle from Paul? Can you imagine? Can you just imagine this dear lady saying, Paul, I thought it would be all right to be a Christian, but if you're going to ask me to do all this, I'm going to quit. What I want you people to see is that Paul says, don't you walk like the other Gentiles walk. Don't you do it. You walk in the truth that there is in Christ. And that's the reason we've had a country where people could leave their houses unlocked at night. I want to tell you, dear people, I was reared out in Oklahoma and I don't know whether we ever had a door to our a key to our front door or not. I don't recollect ever seeing one. We never locked the door in our house morning, noon, or night. The door was always unlocked. Nobody ever thought anybody would bother anybody, and they didn't. And when I came to your town, Miss McIntyre and my dad said, we didn't used to lock our doors. I told you now, you got to lock it every time you turn around. You don't know what's going to happen. But what has happened is, that this marvelous concept of the individual working and laboring at the things that are good so permeated the life of this nation that you had a lot of people who had these ideas. And now we've got a lot of people who don't have them. And now we have a lot of people who have some other ideas which clash with these ideas. And so you have a struggle in our country on the social level that's going to bring about revolution and change just as certain as you and I are sitting here tonight unless God intervenes to help us. That's it. Oh, you Gentiles, those of you who have found Christ, don't you walk as other Gentiles walk. Don't you do it. This is why, young ladies, that's why, young girls, we tell you to stay away from these worldly pursuits. Don't run with the world. Don't run with this crowd. Don't do it. That's why I'm so much in favor of our Christian high school and what it's going to mean. And we'll take these passages and tell the young people that we're responsible for. Young people, don't live like the other Gentiles live. Don't you do it. Let them see that there's a difference, and when they say, what's the difference, why you're like this? Well, we have so learned Christ. We have so learned our Redeemer, who was raised from the dead, and who on the cross of Calvary 
died and shed his blood for our sins. And this communion table means that you have pardon. You have cleansing. This communion table means that we have sanctification by the Spirit. This communion table means that we're not like the Gentiles outside, but we are the believers inside. And unless the church will draw the lines and emphasize the differences, she cannot exist as a church. It's impossible. The world will destroy it and blot out the differences. Now may I say in closing, oh my, look how long I preached. I guess that's the benefit of losing gasoline. But I must stop. Well, and I just will stop. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we do thank Thee tonight for this message. Oh, Lord, the Bible is so real and so precious. And what this passage has said to our hearts tonight, may we abide in it. And, Lord, as we see these things shaping up in relationship to property, in relationship to our responsibilities to work and to, uh, to do the things which are good, and then, oh, Lord, to to have that we may have. And, O oh, Father, may we be able to use what we have for thy glory. For Christ's sake, amen.